bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, September 5th, 2017. I hope you all had a nice Labor Day weekend, and to welcome you back, we have an exciting podcast for you this week. Congress is returning from their August recess, and they have much to do between now and the end of the year, as well as by the end of this month. But first, let's look back in history. It's hard to believe that it's been that long, but tomorrow marks nine years, that's right, nine years, since Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were placed into conservatorship in the midst of a national mortgage crisis. Fannie and Freddie were once major investors in the low-income housing tax credit, but being put into conservatorship shut the door on future new investments. That was then, this is now. Nine years later, Fannie and Freddie are still in conservatorship, but Fannie and Freddie both plan to reestablish some degree of participation in low-income housing tax credit lending and investment as part of their duty to serve underserved markets. Subject to the regulator's final approval, Fannie and Freddie propose three-year plans that include increasing their purchase of loan housing tax credit mortgages and making equity investments in rural LHCC properties. Now, the regulator, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, or FHFA, is expected to provide final approval this calendar year, such that Fannie and Freddie's investment plans will become effective January 1st. Now, Let's turn to this week's exciting tax credit news. I'll start with the status of tax reform efforts, an end-of-the-year goal, and legislative options for continuing resolution and raising the debt limit, two items that must be addressed this month. I also have a short update on amendments that were filed to the Transportation HUD and other spending bills. Then I'll discuss fiscal year 2018 fair market rents and a slate of state bills that could increase funding for affordable housing in California. Then, I'll share good news from Illinois, where the state new markets tax credit program was extended. I'll close with an informative report on wind energy investments. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, Congress is back in session, and the Big Six are scheduled to meet President Donald Trump today to discuss their next steps on tax reform. The so-called Big Six are the leaders of the House and Senate, House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Chairman of the Tax Writing Committees in both houses, Representative Kevin Brady and Senator Orrin Hatch, and two key players in the Trump administration, White House National Economic Council Director Gary Cohn and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Secretary Mnuchin told the Wall Street Journal last Thursday that the White House and top congressional Republicans do plan to release a detailed tax plan together in the next few weeks. Now, that's a change from numerous reports earlier that suggested that the White House had ceded tax reform work to the Congressional Tax Writing Committees. Mnuchin told the Wall Street Journal, and I quote here, in no way are we just turning this over to Congress, close quote. Now, the current expectation is that tax reform plans will first be shared with the members of the House Ways and Means and Senate Finance Committees, 
and then later with rank-and-file Republican members in a caucus meeting. Now, Republican leaders hope that this process will help them gain, or at least gauge, the support of rank-and-file Republican members. Now, assuming they find enough support, the two tax writing committees would begin moving legislation through Congress. Now, it's unclear what would occur should Republican leaders find that they do not have enough support within their caucus. I should also add Republican leaders do remain optimistic that they can enact their tax plan by the end of the calendar year. To help build national support for tax reform, President Trump kicked off a national tour last week. Trump made his first stop on Wednesday at a manufacturing company in Springfield, Missouri. As I've mentioned, details of a Republican tax plan are still being finalized, so there aren't any specifics yet. So Trump's national tour at this point is designed to tout broad principles rather than selling individual details. At his speech on Wednesday, Trump outlined four goals or principles for tax reform. Now, they may sound familiar. That's because they're principles that the White House outlined in its one-page tax reform handout last April. They're goals that have been common in GOP proposals for years. The four principles are, one, simplify the tax code, two, create more jobs and higher wages, three, provide tax relief for middle-income, middle-class families, and four, bring back wealth trapped overseas. Now, to the surprise of some, Trump also doubled down on his call for reduction in the business tax rate from 35% down to 15%. Now, I say it was a surprise because the White House had said earlier not to expect policy details or specific tax rates in the speech. And yet, Trump echoed the 15% rate he suggested for months. The president did also call for bipartisanship. However, Congress is still expected to pursue tax legislation through budget reconciliation, so such legislation can pass without any Democratic support. Now, let's turn to two time-sensitive mission-critical issues facing Congress this month, the continuing resolution and the increase in the debt limit. Congress will likely need to pass a continuing resolution to keep the government funded past the start of the next fiscal year on October 1st. At the same time, lawmakers will also need to pass a measure to increase the debt limit to prevent the federal government from defaulting on its obligations. Now, in last week's podcast, I said that one potential solution to addressing both of these issues at the same time would be for Congress to tie them into disaster relief and recovery package for those affected by Hurricane Harvey. On Friday, the White House did initially suggest that they were going to ask for an initial $5.9 billion in Harvey assistance. That initial request amount, though, was subsequently increased by about $2 billion to $7.85 billion. And we still expect a second larger relief and recovery package to be proposed later in September. Now, that larger package could include disaster allocations of low-income housing tax credits and new markets tax credits as well as increases in the historic tax credit percentages in the disaster area. That large relief bill could also still be tied together with a continuing resolution and debt limit increase bill. Now, as to timing, Congress is in session this week and next, and then they're out one week, and then they're back in session until September 28th. We expect a very, very strong push to pass a continuing resolution debt ceiling increase, and Hurricane Harvey relief over the next 10 days. I'll keep you posted on Twitter as details become available. My Twitter handle is at Novogratik. On a side note, 
We have published content on how low-income housing task force property owners and managers can help those displaced by Hurricane Harvey. You can find that information at our Notes from the Democratic blog. And if you have questions, please email cpas at novaco.com. And furthermore, look for more Novagratic website content on dealing with the damage caused by Hurricane Harvey in the days and weeks ahead. In other news, several amendments were filed to the fiscal year 2018 transportation HUD and other spending bills. The spending bill was combined with seven other fiscal year 2018 bills to form an omnibus spending bill. Prior to the August recess, the House had passed a smaller 2018 spending package comprised of the four security-related spending bills. The pending omnibus bill addresses the rest of the federal government. The House Rules Committee is now considering which amendments offered will be included in the House debate, and they'll vote this week. But the Senate is not expected to take up the bill before the start of the fiscal year on October 1st. That's why a continuing resolution is so important. I'll keep you posted on details as they become available. In affordable housing news, HUD released its fair market rents for fiscal year 2018 last week. The fair market rents, or FMRs, are effective Monday, October 2nd. FMRs are used to determine payment standards for federal rental assistance programs, which include such things as housing choice vouchers under the Section 8 program. HUD calculates FMRs by assigning areas a standard-based rent for a two-bedroom unit based on American Community Survey data or ACS data. FMRs are also used to set low-income housing tax credit income and rent limits in areas that are considered high housing cost areas. In 2017, there were 29 high housing cost areas, and they include Los Angeles, New York City, Miami, and Honolulu. With the release of the FMRs, Novograd and Company is able to estimate what 2018 income limits will be for high housing cost areas. You can contact my partner, Thomas Stagg, if you'd like to know if your area is a high housing cost area and for an estimate of the 2018 income and rent limit. Now, HUD also adopted some changes to the methodology used to estimate FMRs. Those changes were proposed in May and will be adopted effective October 2nd as well. We discussed them on the Notes from Organic blog on June 22nd if you're interested. Now, in case you missed that discussion, the changes include how HUD selects American Community Survey data, how HUD calculates the recent mover factor, and HUD's plan to use estimates by zip code tabulation areas to estimate small area FMRs. HUD invited comments on the FMRs through October 1st. My partner Thomas Stagg says that the new methodology will result in large changes in FMRs from the previous year, both up and down across the country. Areas with small populations will be most affected by the change in methodology. You can see the 2018 FMRs at www.hudusers.gov, and an article in the October issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits will discuss the new FMRs in detail as well. And as I noted, call Thomas Stagg in our Seattle office if you have any questions. In other for housing news, California Governor Jerry Brown and leaders of the California legislature reached a deal last week, a deal that's good news for affordable housing funding. They agreed to move ahead with voting on a $4 billion bond measure, as well as other proposals to address the major affordable housing shortage in the state. California State Treasurer 
said there's a 1.5 million unit affordable housing shortage statewide. And State Department of Housing and Community Development estimates that California needs to build 180,000 new units of housing each year just to meet new demand. Now the package of bills that are included in the agreement feature three major pieces of legislation. They still need to be approved, but Governor Brown indicated he will sign them if they pass. The key bills are a $4 billion housing bond measure that would require voter approval in November 2018. That legislation, by the way, includes $3 billion to help subsidize affordable housing and $1 billion for the State Department of Veterans Affairs home loan payments for a program that was set to expire in 2018. Another bill would add a document fee of between $75 and $225 on certain real estate transactions. This provision would generate between $200 million and $300 million a year, with much of that going to affordable housing. Also, owner-occupied home purchases are excluded from the fee. A third bill would require cities and counties to streamline planning for urban multifamily developments. Now, Democrats dominate statewide offices in California and the Assembly and the State Senate, Speaker Anthony Rindon said that he expects his colleagues to pass the bills, including some that require a two-thirds supermajority because they raise taxes and fees. I should note that Democrats do hold more than two-thirds of the seats in each House. Legislative leaders expect to address the bill soon in both the Senate and Assembly, perhaps this week. The California legislative session ends September 15th. My partner Kevin Wilson says this is potentially a breakthrough in California where negotiations have been going on for months over these provisions and this legislation. Kevin points out that the statewide ballot initiative, which would be voted on in November 2018, follows the passage of several significant city and county ballot measures last fall to increase funding for affordable housing. Kevin says that if these latest proposals do become law, it will help the state address its housing need, although, he says, there is much more work to be done. And if you have any questions about the details of these bills and how they could affect developments in your pipeline, contact Kevin Wilson in our Walnut Creek, California office. Turning to community development, we have great news from Illinois. The Illinois State New Market Tax Credit has been extended four years. Now, the state credit had expired June 30th, which was the end of Illinois' fiscal year. But with the enactment of Illinois Senate Bill 652, the credit will continue through fiscal year 2021. Now, the enacted legislation also increases the percentage of qualified equity investments that must be used to make qualified loan company investments. The increase is from 85% to 100%. And the increase is effective beginning January 1 of this year. The Illinois bill does provide for allocation rounds of $125 million at the start of 2019 and 2020. Please note, there is a bit of bad news in the extension of the Illinois New Markets Tax Credit. That is, that there isn't any funding for 2018. No funding for 2018 was provided because of the financial challenges that the state of Illinois is facing at this time. There's also a change in the way qualified equity investments are certified. The Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity formally certified qualified equity investments in the order they were received. But now, it'll certify applications based on the proportion of the qualified equity investments designated as federal investments. That's in each application compared to others received the same day. My partner, Brad Elphick, points out that this extends a successful state new markets tax credit program and should encourage advocates in other states to be aggressive about highlighting the success of their programs to legislators. 
If you have questions about the Illinois State Program, our new market sector programs in other states, contact Brad Elfick in our Atlanta office. In renewable energy news, I want to briefly share an update on wind energy development and investment. A new report by the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, or NREL, found investment in U.S. wind energy has averaged nearly $13.6 billion annually. More than $140 billion has been invested. NREL found that for wind energy to stay competitive, investment in wind energy needs to maintain current levels. NREL also said that wind energy is playing an increasing role in the national electricity generation portfolio. However, the report said that some investors still consider wind energy a specialized asset. And this lack of familiarity with the asset class limits the potential investor pool, which results in a higher cost of capital for renewable energy. So, the goal of the report is to be an educational resource to increase investor knowledge about this asset class and help lower the cost of capital. In the report, NREL provides an overview of the wind project development and financing process. To read the report, and it's titled Wind Energy Finance in the United States, Current Practices and Opportunities, go to www.energytaxcredits.com. You can also do the latest on renewable energy investment trends at our upcoming Novogratic 2017 Financing Renewable Energy Tax Credit Conference. That's going to be held in Washington, D.C. on November 8th and 9th. And we're actually going to have two equity update panels. One tax for equity update panel will feature syndicators and other intermediaries. The other equity panel will feature the perspective of direct investors. You can register now. Simply go to www.novaco.com events. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I do want to announce, though, that the 2017 Novogratic Historic Rehabilitation Handbook is now available for order. Just simply go to our website. The 2017 edition includes discussion of Section 50D income and a new chapter on solutions for the challenges that developers and investors face in complying with the Secretary of the Interior standards for rehabilitation. You can order your copy at www.novico.com products. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novico.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.